It's Brian again, your lunatic friend. I'm talking about the hot mess that is the music ministry. In this case, it's the Sweet Comfort Band touring the cutting edge. We didn't know it at the time, back in 1983, but this would be our second to last record. For this tour, we bought a tour bus, mostly for our own Sweet Comfort. I'm not even sure we prayed about it, but looking back, it might have been our version of the Forbidden Fruit. Yes, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we didn't know everything, but we were about to. At least about mocking the maintenance. Yeah, we were big time now because we had a bus. There's nothing like pulling up to a venue in a 35-foot limo. Never mind that it needs a 100-gallon tank because it only gets 6 miles of the gallon and it won't fit in a parking space. One of our early trips in that bus was up to a mountain retreat for a bunch of high school kids in the dead middle of winter. Snow everywhere. And we wind up in a bus on a windy road in the mountains. It was like trying to get a wiener dog through an S-curve. One of the first things we learned was how to put that thing in reverse. It was a manual transmission. Changing gears was like working a Rubik's Cube. And you'd think that a bus that weighs 24,000 pounds wouldn't be able to slide around on the ice. That's not true. And when we were going to gigs, we could no longer pull into a little stop and go. No, we had to find the big truck stops. I still remember that one time, getting off the bus at a truck stop, and we were all gonna walk into the restaurant with our sunglasses and our rock and roll hairstyles. But we were in Arkansas, and all the coffee drinkers in there were tractor cap wearing country music loving truck drivers. And all at once, they were all looking at us. And here's where I started to understand that song by Leonard Skinner. Give me three steps, give me three steps, mister. Give me three steps toward the door. And here's where our drummer, Rick, had the cleverest escape plan I've ever heard. He stopped all of us, looked around the room like he was looking for an old friend, and then simply said, no, I don't see him. And we all turned and walked out. He might have saved our lives. And I remember saying, I don't think Arkansas is going to be our mission field. But even playing music with our own kind had a different kind of pitfalls. We played this one gig where there was a Christian rock band opening for us. They were local and they were just getting started. And you gotta remember that back in these days, we were lucky to have a sound system, but our show didn't come with lights. Back then, it was still about the music. In this case, the local band said they had sound and lights already, so it'd be an easy gig for us. So we get there and they open the show, and the sound was phenomenal. And a big light show, and they were as polished as I've ever heard. There was 1,200 people at that gig, and when the first band finished, there was a 20-minute break before the headline comes on. That was us. And when we were announced and we came out on stage, the opening act had packed up the lights and half the sound system. It was a brilliant marketing ploy. Hire a well-known band and do your showcase. And we walked on to a stage that looked like Whoville after the Grinch stole Christmas. Only we weren't singing happy as the Who's were. It reminds me of the first time in Kansas City when we got to open for Andre Crouch and the Disciples. And we thought we were ready for that gig. That's where we learned the hard way that one way to make the headliner stand out is to secretly keep the opening band at half the volume. So when the headliner hits the stage, they sound bigger than life. But most of the time, we didn't need any help sabotaging our own shows. We were somewhere in Illinois to play on a football field that had natural amphitheater seating. At each end was a grassy knoll that would drop down to the track. Trouble is, there was no way to get a bus close to the stage. We didn't want to haul flight cases down the grass to the stage area. And Kevin says, I think I can make it in the bus. And he starts forward to go over the hill with a bus that clears the road by eight inches. And in a matter of minutes, he had the bus perched on a hilltop with the two front tires hanging out in the open air. It looked like a teeter-totter. In the repair manual, it calls that high-centering the bus. The grill work smiling down from the hilltop, headlights looking wide-eyed like Big Bird waiting for an answer. It was hard to keep the audience's attention that night. They were all looking left, waiting for the bus to come down and join us, pivoting precariously on the pinnacle, peering down at the band like we forgot something. Why should we trust what these guys are singing about? They can't 
can't even park the bus. After the concert, we got 50 guys out of the audience who volunteered to help us pick the front of the bus up and push it off the hill. The bus didn't seem any worse for the wear, except for a bay door that looked wrinkled. But when we went to refuel, we noticed that there was a tiny bit of diesel fuel leaking from the tank, right where we had pinched the bus. It wasn't really that bad. We decided to have it looked at on our next day off. The next morning after filling up, we were back on the highway. It was foggy and there was a light rain, and we'd been driving for about an hour and a half, not realizing that the steady drip of diesel fuel from the gas tank was hitting the road and the right side rear tires were driving over it. I remember we were driving downhill on a highway, but it was a straight patch of road and suddenly the back of the bus decides to pass us like we were driving too slow. It was a good thing there were no cars on the road because eventually we had a bus sliding sideways to the highways. Sounds like an album title. We were all in the front of the bus and nobody was saying anything. Kevin was frantically twisting the steering wheel back and forth like he was wrestling a steer and we fishtailed for several minutes until Kevin yells out, for the love of God, somebody pray. We were all busy being dumbfounded. One of those moments where you can't believe this is happening. And then Randy volunteers the most awkward prayer I can remember ever hearing. In a very calm voice, he says, Father, we just ask that you would save us right now. It just seemed awfully calm for the circumstances we were in. I don't know, maybe I was in a plane crash once and felt like I was invincible. And that wasn't even the last of the disasters. We were back in Texas driving really fast because we were late to a concert. Kevin was always talking about how it was just four more miles to the gig. Back then, we didn't have GPS. We were late, and we had misjudged the timing. So Kevin is driving the bus at about 80 miles an hour, which takes everything that the bus has. That's when we noticed a little air coming in through the top of the windshield, and the longer we drove, the more air started to rush in. So Rick puts his hand on the windshield and pushes it closed because we don't have time to stop. 20 minutes later, he asks our sound man to help him hold the windshield in place. But it was starting to separate on the corners, and he was joined by myself and the guitar player, and by the time we reached the concert, the whole band was standing at the front of the bus, hands on the windshield like we were in a police lineup, and here's where I wish we would have had a camera to take a picture of that. Driving into the church parking lot, the Christian band is here and ready to play. Now that we're pretty sure they're not packing, this is not the end of the story of the wheels on the bus go round and round. There's more to come in the next episode. I hope you're feeling better about the life choices you made listening to mine. And by the way, I love talking to you in the comments. And hey, thanks for the bus fare.